Your brand is so much more than what you look like. Your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Your brand is how you deliver. Uh, it's how you engage. It's how you communicate. It's what you stand for. I think a lot of what we do can often be reduced to how it looks, how the website looks or how that like line of copy sounds. But it, you know, your brand is really how you behave both internally and externally. Hi, this is Dan Rao, founder and brand strategist at DSR Branding. And you're listening to DSR Branding Presents. I should interview you, Dan. Why don't you do- let me interview you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> DSR yeah. on Dan. That was recorded a few months ago after recording episode 17 with Zoe Green. Zoe is the co-founder and creative director of Co-Partnership, a multi-award-winning branding and packaging agency that specializes in alcohol brands. A few weeks ago, I took Zoe up on our generous offer and we swapped roles. Now, it's really strange recording an intro for yourself. In this episode, Zoe and I discuss my favorite brands, I share what I was like at school, talk about influential people who have helped shape my career, what I've learned from the brilliant guests on this podcast, and our approach to rebrands. Plus, we discuss my side venture, Brill Coffee. I also try to debunk some common myths around our industry and share what the future has in store for DSR branding, plus some pretty exciting things that are happening in my personal life. Once again, I had a great time chatting with Zoe. She's a brilliant interviewer, and I'm excited to share this one with you. If you haven't already, check out my interview with Zoe back in episode 17. Hi, Dan. It's Zoe here. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for turning the tables and being the interviewer. Yes, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to be on the other side <laughs> of the fence. I'm really excited today to host the DSR podcast and to interview you um, and, you know, really interested in your story so far. And as a founder of DSR Branding, as a co-founder of Brill Coffee and as a DSR <laughs> podcast host, I'm interested in what you describe to someone when they ask you what you do um yeah it's an interesting one like I have a I have a bit of a pitch I I, I normally say I'm I run a branding and design business um and we specialize in brand or rebrands and brand refresh projects and a lot of the time Mm -hmm. people stare at me quite blankly um Mm. and then I have to say something like I work with businesses to help them uh you know I work with businesses to improve the way they look and sound so they can attract more customers and attract better quality employees or attract and retain employees. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's a bit of, there's a few unknowns about what we do in terms of, you know, what is branding or what is, um, you know, what sort of design. So yeah, I, sometimes you do need to follow up with, with some explanations or some examples. And it's, it, it's very different, I think, as to whether you're talking in a professional capacity or whether you're talking, as you mentioned, at, in a barbecue to sort of break <laughs> down what you're, what you do. And, um, a brand is so many things, isn't it? And, um, there's so many versions and how you meet a brand is in many different ways. So I suppose, yeah, just explaining its potential first and then how that leans into the different needs is quite, a clear way of explaining what you do. Yeah, I tried. I tried one once that sort of backfired, but it was quite fun. 
And I was sort of saying, have you ever watched Queer Eye for a Straight Guy? And they're like, oh, I've heard of it. And I was like, we're like that for businesses. So we like go yeah, in that's a good one. and we, and we take out all the things that, you know, all the, like, it's basically this, like this rough to, or this diamond in the rough and find out all the great things, all the things that makes them unique. And then, uh, sort of bring that to the surface, bring that to light, um, and help them change the way they, you know, talk in the market or, you know, I guess, yeah, go to market, but also change the, mm-hmm. help change the way they see themselves. I think I might have to borrow that analogy. It's very good. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a makeover show, isn't it? Makeover yeah. for branding. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to actually document the process properly um, and and sort of show you know the the full sort of the full process. But um, a lot of the time, people, it's just you know a, a lot of the time we're we're not great at showing um, how we rebrand or refresh a business. It's sort of you just show the before and after, and people just sort of take mm. it on surface level design like oh you've changed the logo from from being that to to that and now it looks you know it looks much better or something like that but that yeah probably don't appreciate and we we've failed to explain you know the the things that go on you know beneath the surface mm. and that and i that brings me to a classic uh dsr uh, podcast question which is <laughs> what is your favorite brand and why yeah i, I was excited to uh, answer this one and um it's funny, like a lot of the guests have said Nike and I really like Nike as a brand. I really like their products. Um, but I actually have two that, that probably people won't, well, one, everyone will know. Um, and it's actually a brand I can't even eat. Uh, it's KFC. Um, so I'm, I'm gluten and dairy free. So I, I can't actually eat KFC products, but I think KFC as a brand is just brilliant. And I think they're brilliant in how they've nailed their tone of voice and their positioning. I think they're incredibly self-aware, uh, especially, you know, and, and there's examples in, in their advertising and sort of marketing all over the world. You know, like in, in the UK years ago, KFC famously ran out of chicken and they ran a print, a print ad and they readjusted the letters to have uh, FCK and it was an apology letter from, from KFC UK. And, uh, and I just thought that was really, really funny um, and just really, you know, incredibly sort of honest. Um, and then here, I think KFC is really, really smart with their marketing, with their outdoor creative. You know, they've got one at the moment that's got just a, a bucket of chicken and they've got bucket, why not, uh, written underneath. <laughs> and I, I just think that like, it, it, it's one of those brands that they've never tried to be healthy. You know, Mac has brought out the healthy range. Uh, Hungry Jacks mm. have sort of tried to be healthy. KFC is just like, nah, we're junk food. You know, we're, we're, you know, you're not coming here for a salad. You're coming here for, for burgers, chips and chicken. Um, and I just think that's really cool. Like to just stick yeah. to what they know and not, and not worry about trying to be everything to all people, like embracing that they're the, they're the dirty, you know, the dirty bird <laughs> basically. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a, people like honesty, don't they? And yeah. just having, owning that transparency is, is refreshing. I remember that ad that came out in Britain mm-hmm. and, you know, running out of chicken. I can't remember why, but it's probably a good problem to have, right? Because <laughs> so many people are eating it. Um, but it's, it's such a simple trick and it just sort of really brings a nice um, tone of voice to the brand just to like play with them, play with themselves that much. They've got such a strong, you know, asset and they're able to sort of rearrange it to, to work with a conversation that's happening at the time. I think it's really smart. And then, and then during lockdown um, or at the start of lockdown in the UK, um, KFC's 
I think it was um, their their social media started to get people to send in their homemade chicken because they couldn't get out to to KFC restaurants, <laughs> and they would rate it out of ten, and they'd almost do like the Gordon Ramsay rate my plate, but on people's homemade chicken, and they were just roasting uh, like just customers writing in, and they were really like they were really just. Yeah, giving it to them and, and teasing them for their poor poor execution. It was quite funny. Like it was a great, you know, rather than being really friendly and nice, they were just sort of taking the piss out of them. Um, yeah. yeah, in a in a sort of a cheeky and and, and nice. Way. Well, not that nice, but uh, but I just like that. I just like that honesty, that brute honesty, that authenticity, and and just the you know the guts to sort of back it up and not try to be you know a really polished brand. And it's nice to see how a brand can run with the momentum of something that they don't know where it's going. Mm. And there's just this idea that, you know, people are in control of really how, you know, they're putting their own content out in the world, but it's, it's laddering back to KFC, which is, yeah. you know, so, sort of free, free falling in a way for a brand, but really um, exciting yeah, to sort I, of ha- have a halo on them. Yeah, Definitely. And the other brand is a brand out of the States called Rogue Fitness. And Rogue uh, started as a um, sort of a weights, uh, strength and conditioning brand for CrossFit. Um, And then they've expanded into powerlifting and um, sort of strongman and that sort of thing. But the thing I like about Rogue is it's a brand and it's it's not a brand that I have products or, or, you know, many of their products or, or merch or anything like that. But it's a brand that sort of everything they do is is at a really really high level so every you know if they if they put on a competition or if they put on an event or if they bring out a new product it's sort of the highest standard they won't put out anything just for the sake of it so they don't compromise on quality um and they also do really good things like they pay their staff above you know above market rate um so they've got a big manufacturing plant in columbus ohio and they uh they pay people really fairly and they they pay benefits and and healthcare and that sort of thing and it's a brand that sort of is a real leader uh in in that type of industry um and they yeah they just don't compromise on quality so there's a there's a really cool video they brought out which is on american-made kettlebells that they make and it's just awesome like the production quality is really good and they sort of back it up with you know the proof and evidence that hey our products are really good yes they're more expensive but we stand behind them because of these reasons um, and I just like that. I like a brand who's consistent, you know, consistently delivering a really high level uh, time and time again. Mm. You can see, I'm just looking at their Instagram now, that the pride in their quality of their product comes through. And yeah. um, like it's nice to know, you know, when you market yourself at that price point, um, you and you you own it i think it's um it's important to you know it distinguishes you uh against your competitors isn't it yeah that's right and then and they don't discount you know they they might do really really small discounts but they they're almost like a an apple and they don't really have to put their products on sale um mm. and I, I really like that in a brand that 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 has confidence and and sort of belief in in the value of their products or their offering you know, they're not worried mm. about getting into a price game or a price war. Um, they, they, you can see with Rogue, I don't think they're, you know, they're, they're staying in their own lane in terms of I don't think they'd really be reacting to what competitors are doing or worrying about what other, you know, what other gym manufacturing or fitness companies are doing. They're just staying in their own lane and focusing on what they're doing and getting that right. Yeah. It's a great name as well, I think, yeah, for, awesome. for what they sell. <laughs> yeah. 
has has good uh, kind of leans into Vogue, which is kind of cool as yeah. well yeah. as as the other as the other meaning. But yeah, awesome. Um, so paint me a picture, Dan, of your younger years. Um, did you consider yourself? Um, school of life, school of books. Were you an academic at school? Were you a daydreamer? What was the young Dan like? Uh, I was a little shit. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was. I would be really distracting in class to people, um, and then go home and study. So I would. I would. Yeah. <laughs> looking back, I would have been very frustrating. I think um, certain like certain classes, I would have been really into it. You know, business classes or drama classes or. English classes, uh, maths. I, I'm not a yeah, not a keen mathematician. Um, but yeah, I would I would um, play up in class and and chat with friends and then go home and actually study or go home and actually you know make sure I knew what was happening. And then the teachers would be really annoyed because they'd be like, "Well, you're you're stuffing around in class, but then you're still going okay with the grades." So you know, other kids can't see that you're doing that work at home. Um, but yeah, no, I I, I kind of like school, um, and you liked the social aspect by the sounds of things. Yeah, I like the social aspect, and I, I like the. I don't know, yeah, I, I haven't I really thought back about school that much. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of yeah, it was good at the time, and then I'm happy to happy to sort of move on, go into uni, and yeah. Although although I did drop out of my first uni course, which was um economics i uh i like the idea of it um more than the actual subjects but you can see how that's uh influence still um you know being in uh, advertising and marketing but still um you know close to that subject in a way isn't it yeah yeah i mean there was there was parts of it um i enjoyed but then when it got to stats and stuff like that i always look i always remember um my I've got I've got two older brothers and my middle brother Chris, who's actually been a guest on the podcast. Um, we were both in in a at UQ in Queensland here, and we we're doing this macroeconomic subject, and we'd sit in the lectures and we'd talk. It was the only time because he was he was quite a few years in, and we'd talk through yeah. the lectures and we'd chat, and then it came to the exam time, and he got a seven. And I got a two, which is a failure. Oh. <laughs> and it was like we were both putting in the same amount of effort. Um, but for him, it was just easy. Like he could just read it and he just knew exactly what was happening. And I, I didn't have the same um, sort of natural ability there to, to sort of breeze through. So, yeah, it was, it was quite funny. I think creative types are hardwired a little bit differently. And yeah. Um, you find your path in the end, but it's not always <laughs> in that academic world, is it? Yeah. Um, so what sort of parents, what sort of, sorry, what sort of influences were your parents? Um, did, was there anything creative in your upbringing that made you, you know, want to head in that direction? I think my mum, like, yeah, I mean, my mum is really creative. Um, like she's really into sewing and, and she's, um, yeah, she's really great at that. And, and we used to play like dress ups heaps as a kid, pretend to be like a knight or uh, <laughs> I used to, uh, yeah, always, always dress up as, as sort of, yeah, it was just knights and I really like horses and stuff growing up. It's a bit weird, but, um, <laughs> so um, fancy dress is, is a big, uh, is a great invite for you. Dan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, mum was incredibly supportive, um, you know, of anything we would do as kids. Um, and dad was just a, a, I guess a really good influence in terms of just 
with an incredible work ethic. Um, mm. I mean, dad's run his own businesses for a lot of the time growing up and, and, you know, sold his business a few years ago. He's now working in quite a big company, but he's always just sort of set a standard of what, um, you know, you know, set a standard of a really high work ethic and also mm-hmm. never, never bringing work home. Like he's had, you know, really, really stressful jobs. Um, you know, a lot of pressure, um, and, and done some big moves. You know, we moved from New Zealand, uh, to Australia when I was about six years old. Um, and they oh, didn't know anyone. Are you a Kiwi then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. We moved over in 96, I think. No, 94. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember stepping off the plane in Sydney, uh, leaving Wellington. We stepped off the plane in Sydney and it was like 37 degrees. And we were just oh, like, wow. what the hell have we done? This is, <laughs> this is, this is torture. Um, yeah. So we, um, we grew up in West Sydney, um, in Carlingford and, uh, and my brothers and I quickly lost our Kiwi accent after getting told to say six over and over again. Oh. Um, so we were very quick to, to sort of start to sound Australian. Um, but yeah, dad, dad took a job in Australia. Um, and, and, you know, we, we didn't know at the time, but really didn't enjoy it for, you know, a year to a year and a half and just slogged away and, and then moved on to another role. And, and, and I think that, that as an influence has been quite, I guess, influential in that, you know, sometimes you do have to push ahead with something and, and, and just sort of, um, work your way through it. Um, you know, it's not always going to be easy and it's not always going to be a, you know, a great time in, in your career. Like there are going to be challenges mm. and, and I guess it's, <clears throat> you know, trying not to take that work home with you. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's been really, um, I guess influential for me. Um, mm. yeah. It's a great lesson to, um, to, to give, I think for all of us, whether we have, you know, uh, self-employed or we are, um, you know, business owners just to, sort of have that sort of decompression time and then go home and be good to yourself and to your family by, Mm. by not bringing work home. I think it's a, it's a really good ethic to have, um, you know, for your dad to have passed down to you. So, so that's, yeah, that's, that's great. And I didn't know that about your background (laughs) coming from Wellington, windy Wellington, as they say. It is really windy. I went back a few years ago. I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was shocked. Um, no, I, I I love going back to New Zealand for holidays. It's um it's such a beautiful country. Yeah. Do you still consider yourself a Kiwi, or are you? I I am a Kiwi now? when it comes to rugby, um, and ah, the All Blacks, okay. <laughs> and then I'm pretty much Australian every other way. Um, yeah. No, I Why I, I still you be? <laughs> I still um I still you know I really appreciate my um sort of Kiwi past or background, but um and mm-hmm. and. But I, but I love Australia. Yeah, no, it's been it's been kind, I think, to you yeah. by the sounds of things. Um, so, interested to know um, about you know you, your journey so far. You've you've done so many things, and um, I'm interested to know and you know what has been um, like what has been the scariest thing you've ever done that you look back on and you realise you grew. I always. I'm a big believer in nothing ever growing in a comfort zone and going to that uncomfortable place and pushing yourself a bit like how your dad did when he moved to, to Australia and he, and he was resilient and he pushed through it. And so I'm interested to know from you, what has been something you look back on and you realize you grew through it? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, starting the business five years ago, um, probably didn't realize at the time, um, but I think that that was a, it didn't, it didn't feel like a huge challenge. Like I, I had a really good um, sort of foundation uh, in, in my previous role uh, at a full service creative agency. I had a really, really mm-hmm. great uh, mentor and boss there. Mm-hmm. Um, but starting that and then looking back at, at sort of how the business has, has grown um, has been, it was, was quite challenging, um, but, but also really rewarding. But I actually think, I actually think, um, putting these podcasts out and putting actually the first time I wrote blog articles and, and sent mm-hmm. them to a email database of all of our clients. Um, it's, it's so much easier doing, doing work and doing creative for other businesses, but when you're trying to do it for yourself, it's actually really, really scary and nerve wracking. And you've got this idea in your mind of, of how, how you want it to be and you want it to be perfect before you send it and you, you, you're terrified of making a mistake or, or someone judging yeah. you or that sort of thing. So I think, you know, a few years ago I, I um, started to do a monthly blog article uh, that I would send out to clients and, and sort of a wider network. And, and then after doing it for a year and a half consistently each month, you, it doesn't become such a frightening thing. Um, mm. And and the same same goes for this podcast. Like starting it back in April, um, you know, I was pretty terrified to <laughs> to publish it. Um, and then you know now we're recording, I think episode twenty six or something like that. Like it just gets it gets easier. Um, and I, I think I think those moments are, are things that I've I've looked back on that I really you know at the time it was quite stressful, and then now now I'll release a podcast and I'm not really be too concerned about it. Mm. I mean, I still get what nervous made about you, it, but yeah. 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 I, what made you um, want to try podcast um, hosting? Uh, so it, it sort of started years ago. I, I wanted to do a site uh, called We Are Founders and I wanted to interview business founders. So I starting DSR branding, a big part of that was I loved – working with people who went out on their own or went out and started a business or, or were mm-hmm. in a managing director, in ro- you know, managing director role or a general manager role where it was their business and being able to help them build something that you could see would, would change their future. You know, like giving, mm. giving someone a brand um, and a website and then telling you, hey, we've brought on these new cl- clients or, you know, we've seen their business grow. So, um so yeah, I wanted to I wanted to do something where I would talk to founders of businesses years ago, and I just never got around to it. And it was always going to be you know the too hard basket. And then COVID came around in April, uh, and we're sort of at home. And what I realised after working from home is that I was having really good phone conversations with a lot of my clients. You know, we were chatting to a lot of the business owners that we work with. And they, they had time because they were taken out of their business um, and, and, you know, they might be waiting on projects to sort of pick back up. And I thought, well, why don't I, why don't I try to record some of these conversations? And, um, and what can I, and it was more, what can I do that isn't going to disrupt my designer's time? Um, because we've got two designers and, you know, if I, if I wanted to do something more creative, you know, a series of posters or a series of <clears throat> infographs or something like that, like it's, it's going to monopolize their time. But podcasting, mm. I can record it. I can work directly with an editor and, uh, and it's something that I can manage without influencing or sorry, without taking time away from, from them. 
Mm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting you, you know, bringing that, that Dan from the schoolroom, uh, you know, you're <laughs> obviously recognizing that you're enjoying the, um, the, the conversations and the flow and the energy and the exchange of, um, you know, methods and, you know, brainstorming and just talking with your clients in a very unconstructed way is, is just inspiring, isn't it? Just to even overhear those conversations. And so it's, yeah, it's interesting to, to hear that you're, you're quite, um, you're about sharing information, aren't you? You know, you're in the situation where, um, it's quite complex, you know, running a business and like learning about how to do it better and learning about how to service your clients needs. And then having these, um, podcasts where you sort of learn about, you know, people's, uh, similar situations is, is just inspiring. I think. Yeah, definitely. Like I've always been really curious and just to be in a, you know, I've always asked heaps of questions growing up. Um, you know, mm. if I meet someone I'd li- like, I like to learn about them. I'm just, you know, sort of genuinely interested in, in learning about how someone's done something or how someone's built a business. So for me to have a, have, you know, I guess an avenue to do that and a structure to do that, I think is just for me, <laughs> like it's actually really rewarding the conversations. I look at it and it's sometimes easy to get caught up in the, in the metrics of, oh, you know, how many views did that one get? And that's not really how, it's not really how I want to measure the success of this. It's more the the success to me is is the contacts and the and the connections that I've built over over doing these interviews and actually the the information I've learned. You know, speaking to founders of studios like you, like Craig Parsons. You know, speaking to um, people who have built these amazing design studios and and learning firsthand from them. You know, the you know perhaps some of the mistakes or the challenges they go through is just really rewarding. Is there anything that stands out that you've learned from your guests on the podcast? I think no one got there by chance. Like no one, no one just sort of fell into a studio owner role or a, a leadership role. Um, mm. There's a hell of a lot of hard work that's gone into all of it. Um, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice. A lot of the business owners that I've spoken to and the people I've spoken to, they've had to sacrifice something. You know, they've either moved overseas uh, moved into a new area. Um, they practice what they do a lot. You know, it's not, <clears throat> it's not this, like n- none of these people are sort of getting there by working the standard nine to fives. They're, they're incredibly hard workers and they're, and they're all have been very passionate about, um, you know, sort of focusing on what they can control and really, um, really just doubling down on their strengths. So, you know, I spoke to, um, actually who introduced, um, me to you, Craig Black, you mm. know, in, in one of our third episode. And he, he used to sit in a garden shed in London and, and just practice lettering every day. You know, it was very, it, it it's not like, I don't know, none, none of the guests are these overnight sensations. And I don't really think that exists. Um, they're mm. people who, who just put in the work and, and really just, um, put in time. And, and they're mm. people who have, um, who have taken risks, um, which mm. I think is really, is really brave. Yeah, the risk-taking is, I think, a common denominator with all of these people, isn't it? Because there's nothing to lose in a way with a risk, isn't it? But, <clears> but, <throat> but you may as, well, may as well take it and, and see what it gives you because um, it's kind of that's proper living, that's living life, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah, that, I, I just find them like, I don't know. I think as society, we, we see all these people, we put these people up on pedestals who are famous, like famous for, you don't really know why. Um, mm. And then there's, there's other people who will never sort of make the limelight, but they're incredibly good at what they do and they're hyper-specialized and they're, mm. they're just like experts in their craft. And I just find those people are just so motivating because they're people that, that don't get distracted or if they do, they, they get back on course quite quickly and they, they sort of double mm. down on what they, what they know they can be great at. Mm. And their, um, so their attitude to risk is high, but also their, um, they're okay with failing, which kind of brings me to my next question, which is what is your biggest failure or biggest win um, and what did you learn from it? Uh, yeah, I was trying to think about our biggest failure. Um, I think there's, there's a few things. I, I wouldn't really put them down as the biggest failures, but I, I'd look at – actually, there, there are. So I think I, I wish I built the business in a, cons, more, in a conservative manner in the sense of I wish I knew about having, um, you know, maybe four months running costs in the bank at all times. You know, I was always mm-hmm. – I'm very good at spending money um, and I'm getting a lot better at saving money, but, um, but I'm, you know, I'll I'm take quite... you shopping, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, that, that's right. But, um, and, and what, you know, I always, I always think like, oh, we can, ma- we can make more money. We can get another project, that sort of thing. But I think having money in the bank, um, as a small business, it allows you to say no to things and it allows mm. you to, it allows you to push back, uh, when people or clients aren't, aren't treating you how, you know, you should be treated. Um, mm. So there are times that I look back on and I sort of think, I wish, I wish we didn't need that project. I wish we didn't need that project money. Um, mm. And if someone had paid a 50% deposit and then we got to a stage where we knew that, you know, this isn't the right client for us. This isn't the right project for us. I wish I could just turn around. If I had, the, if I had that safety net, I could have just turn around and said, look, guys, um, let's end this amicably. And, um, you know, we're not, the, we're not the right firm for you. Um, here's your money, um, have a refund and, uh, yeah, all the best. And I, and I didn't because we needed that. And I, and Mm -hmm. to me, that's a failure in, and it's something I regret, but it's also something now that I've learned from, I've learned that, you know, it's the cost of doing that work is often greater than the the return that you're getting Mm. because it it makes you compromise. Yes. And also, I think Sorry. when you're starting out a business, you're, you're also learning who you are and where mm. your positioning is in the market. And so it's quite easy to say yes to um, a project that maybe not might be playing to your strengths or playing to the best fit of your company because mm. your company is still in a, you know, it's embryonic form, if you like, and you're still learning about you know what's right the right fit for you and and you get a real performance and a real momentum when you do have the right fit with a with a brief and a project yeah and that and that sort of leads me on to like probably our biggest win was was with a uh, client this year um and we've done three brands with this client so they're they're a group called insight um and it was it was in february and they they came on and they said you know we need a refresh or we need uh, we need to refresh two brands or rebrand two brands, two businesses, and we need to build a new, a, another new business. Um, and it was all, there was quite a strict timeline because a few of the key decision makers and key people um, were leaving to go to South Africa um, because that's where 
you know, uh, main, you know, their main business is based. So there was, there was quite a, a tight turnaround on the sort of the discovery um, phase, the, you know, the, the strategy phase of doing the workshops and that sort of thing. Um, but there was what we had with this client and what we still have is just a really, really great relationship where we you know, have a really clear understanding of what they do and how, they, how they're going to make money and um, how they want to be positioned. And it just, we just had this working relationship where they just gave us control to, you know, real creative freedom to help them. And they knew, they knew, you know, they had trust in, in the business of how we were going to, you know, step up to the table. And they were also really great at what they did. And, and the work that's come out of that, I'm just really, really proud of as a business. Mm. Um, you know, there's three brands there in Insight, Inspira and Barron Energy, um, which I think are just, you know, we, we look back at and we're still working with the brands today. And it's, it's just a good demonstration of when <clears throat> the brief, you know, the brief is right, it's set, um, and the relationship between client and, and us is, is really, really strong and open and honest. Um, and mm-hmm. it just allows us to sort of do what we, what we love, which is just create really cool, you know, modular brand identity systems, um, you know, write fun lines. So like one of their businesses um, is Barron Energy and they're, they're taking cactus and turning it into uh, natural gas by processing like cactus in these big combustors and, uh, and actually converting that into energy. Um, and it's just a really cool kind of product because it's, it's sort of flipping the switch on what a normal you know, energy and resources business would do. Um, and it's just allowed us to have fun and, and be quite creative and different with the executions. Yeah, I'm just looking at their work now on your website. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Like having a relationship of trust with a client and where they come, um, you know, to the party too, that I feel like those projects are really rewarding and you get the best um, work effort out of mm. them together. Um, and your approach, can you talk me through like, you know, if a business comes to you and they have, you know, they want to refresh a business and build another one. Yeah. How, how do you, what is your typical, do you have a typical approach or, um, is there some methods that you use to, to get there? There is. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of influenced from my previous role, um, at a previous agency. And we, we used to talk about it's business first, brand second, marketing third, um, and we've evolved that uh, in our business now. So it's actually this year. And it was from listening to, um, you know, I mean, you know, Blair Ends, but listening to Blair mm-hmm. Ends and, and David C. Baker, who have a podcast called Two Bobs, which is amazing. <clears throat> and they talk about you've got to have a process. Like everyone, everyone should have some sort of process and you probably do, but you, you've got to name it and sort of um, and brand it. Um, and we created our, our sort of five Ds of remarkable branding. And it was discover, define, develop, design, deploy. So we want to start mm-hmm. by discovering what makes, or I guess discovering what people think and say about the brand when they're not in the room or discover what, you know, what the employees say, discover what their customers say. And then we want to define the challenge. Um, you know, what, what, what problem is, is the design solving or what problem is, you know, the new brand going to, or what opportunity are we going for? And then we want to develop the strategy so who, who are we? What do we stand for? What's our long-term brand strategy? And it should be linked to a business strategy. Um, and then we want to design sort of the key elements, the key identity. And then it's about deploying. What we realize is that that deploy phase, uh, you know, it, it can, that's sort of for us, we just want to focus on a few key elements. 
you know, be it a landing page or a, a basic website or some basic corporate collateral or that sort of thing. We don't want to go off and then create you know, a social media campaign or those sort of things straight away because the brand hasn't really evolved yet. So you've, you just focus right. on a few key things, getting those right, and then you can go into a full sort of uh, yeah, marketing plan from that. So I'm excited because we, we started to articulate that process, even though we've been doing it for years and we've actually been able to build some structure and process around it. And it's something I learned from the guests on the show as well, is that you should have, you should have process or you should have almost like a structure or guardrails um, that you work along, but they shouldn't be too, you know, uh, constricting. You know, you should be able to sort of, I think you actually said that, you should be able to sort of move in and out of that, but it should still be there as a, as a base. Mm. Um, and, and for us, that's been really good to have that sort of set and defined. And we realized that when we follow that process, you know, in that discovery phase, I'll interview, um, key customers and get customer testimonials and find out from, from them firsthand what they say about the business rather than just taking the owner's word for it. And what you get from those moments are are so much more insightful, uh, hearing it firsthand from, from people who really like the brand or perhaps don't, don't like what they're doing now so you're actually getting some you know some honesty so when do you play that information back to the client a lot of the time we we want to take that to the client before we get to uh sort of at the define stage so before we go Mm -hmm. into a full brand workshop and we've 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 you know you you play with these systems or like we we sort of test and 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 work out what works and what doesn't and what doesn't work is when you you have a brand workshop scheduled and then you bring in all these findings and it's like fresh for the client. And then it's just like sensory overload. Like they're finding out too much information and then we've got to dive into sort of being more creative or thinking about their customer personas and that sort of thing. So mm. we're, we're building that out and building some more processes or protocols around that because <clears throat> yeah, there's only so much information that someone can take in. And it's often like yes. hearing, you know, if someone said, Hey, here's a, here's a report on what all your customers think about you. Um, cool, park that. Now let's go into, you know, talking about your brand personas or uh, brand personality. I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa can, we, can we just talk about yeah. what people, yeah. So You wouldn't so get just, anywhere, would you? <laughs> no, no, it's just incredibly, um, uh, it can be quite overwhelming. So, so yes. you, want to, um, you want to do those separately so that people can and take half time the, to. Yeah, sorry. Half the skill is in the edit of that information, isn't it? The, dist- well, the distillation of that. That's right, because you know not all, you know not all opinions and not all feedback is equal, um, and you've got to you've got to put context around that, um, and you know some someone might be a brand new customer um, and they might be saying certain things, and then someone might be a you know five year customer and they might be saying something mm. completely different. But but giving context and giving, I guess, a bit more clarity around those um, is important, and then you can do that sort of at the end of the discovery phase before sort of going into the the brand workshops so that i'm interested to know is that if that process is one that you applied to your own brand because you are in fact a co-founder of um brill coffee which is a speciality (laughs) instant coffee brand um no no we're far (laughs) far too busy no it's um it is it's a work in Brill is a work in progress. Uh, yeah, we, we've done we've done brand workshops and we've done um, we've done research and we've done a few of those things. But have we gone through have we gone through that process with the same uh, sort of 
intention as we would if it was a a person coming to us uh no and and that's sort of um and I, th- I think that's where brill you know is still is still sort of finding its feet as a brand i just don't think we've really built out the personality for brill yet um mm-hmm. we we've we've got a beautiful design we've got some really good content but we haven't really told that story and the potential of you know, brill is essentially great coffee that you can take anywhere so you could be mm-hmm. hiking in a mountain and pour a really good cup of coffee. Um, you can, you know, you can basically wake up in the morning and have coffee and not wake up your family um, by turning the coffee machine on. And it's it's essentially like Brill is Brill is a life of no shit coffee. Um, yes. But we we haven't been able to expand and tell that story yet um, because it's hard. It's hard to like, and that's the thing with branding. It's hard to go beyond surface level design hard to go behind mm. like a really nice product and then actually start to build <clears throat> connections uh with customers and, and tell more of that brand story and we're doing we're doing the you know the good things right we're doing like we are building a bit of a community with with customers and you know really nice handwritten thank you cards and things like that but we're not telling that greater story or that greater purpose or the vision of the brand yet and that's where i think the mm-hmm. opportunity is but it's great that you recognize that. Um, <laughs> and I think also I see a lot of brands get it right uh, the second time round. In a mm. way, they need to get it off the off the ground and then reevaluate it. And it's not to say that um, it's broken. It's more to say it's like you're now optimizing um, yeah. what you've got so that it has much more clarity of communication and it actually cuts through with it's got quite a unique um, positioning. And, and so just telling that story in a clearer way is, is kind of really important for the brand's survival. Mm. Like what I get excited about is when I do think about ideas and, and opportunities for Brill, like there, there's so much potential there, but it's then mm. finding the time. And it's something that, you know, Joel and, and, and myself are both, you know, we're co-founders, but this is, Brill is a side project for both of us. And I've actually written articles in the past about why side projects fail or side businesses fail. And I really think, and like I've seen so many clients who have, who have gone all in on businesses and, and really pushed through it and, and built something. And I think that's what Brill would really take or, you know, it would take a hell of a lot more time than both of us are currently uh, putting into it to really get off its feet. Um, and that's what, you know, that's why I have such respect for some of the businesses and business owners that we work with, because it's not easy to do that. Yes. And I think the sound of having a side hustle is, you know, it's out, you, you hear that terminology all the time and <laughs> it sounds really exciting. It sounds awesome. Yeah. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a half job. It's like you won't have full focus in it ever because it's like a side dish if you like. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it sounds um, great. Like it sounds, you get an email and it's a, it's a sale, you know, that you, you wake up to sales and it's awesome. But like Joel, Joel gets that and he's like, yeah, cool. Oh, now I've got to pack that and go to the post office or something like that. Like it's, it's work. It's, um, there's lots yes. of like online sales is, is really fun when it's the transaction, but the, the delivery and the actual operation side is actually much harder. Um, yes. and that's why, you know, I have yeah, a lot of respect for people who do it as a, as a full-time thing. Yes. And I think, um, I mean, it'd be great to see, um, how that evolves. And I think it's a clear insight that, you know, you've got for Brill and and its next step. So it'd be great to see and how that evolves. I'm interested to know what inspired your bright geometric design for Brill. (laughs) So that was, um, our lead designer, Ruben, 
um, was was playing around with I, the brief for Brill was always let's create a product that sells off Instagram, like that sells that you look at and you just want to buy. You just you just mm-hmm. want to pick it up, and that's what's been fun about it because we do a lot of B two B brands with DSR branding. We do a lot of corporates, professional services, construction, heavy industry. So to do a consumable like Brill has been really rewarding for the staff because you can actually design something that you know people can pick up and hold and, and buy themselves. So it's direct to consumer. Um, mm. But I think Ruben, Ruben was playing around with, um, I think it's Vexology, um, which is like flag design principles. So he was looking at mm-hmm. you know the origins of where these coffees are coming from. So Ethiopia, uh, Guatemala. Uh, Colombia and taking inspiration from from the colors and and the shapes and then and then thinking about the tasting notes and sort of building out patterns um, and really bold colors. I mean, food's hard because you know, color, well, interesting because colors and food are obviously you know you, you kind of want to steer away from blue sometimes if it's like fresh food or that sort of thing. But mm. because it's coffee and it's it's sort of freeze dried, so it's prepared. Um, you can sort of break a few rules there. And was it hard to come up with your own brand name? Uh, no, so Joel's last name is Brilliant. Um, so uh, Brill, short for Brilliant, because we're all about saving time. Um, uh-huh. And as, as kids, we would say, like, if something was good, it was like, oh, that's Brill. Like, we would, we would say Brill instead of Brilliant anyway. So um, it's sort of, we were sitting down and he was telling me the idea for the business. I was like, oh, I should just call it Brill. And uh, so that was actually, because normally brand names are really hard. Um, it takes ages to sort of come up the right one and then you find something and it's taken or it's trademarked or the domain doesn't exist. But, um, but no, we got quite lucky with that. It, it leads me on to my next question, but I find this an interesting one. It, what is the common, what is one common myth about your professional field that you would want to debunk, that you want to unpack <laughs> and explain? Oh, there's probably a few. I think, I think, um, the classic, like a brand is more than a logo, uh, is is sort of such an old, but it's sort of it, it's an old sort of gripe that a lot of designers or a lot of brand people in brand identity have a bit of an issue with, and and I think it, it's probably because it still reigns true. Like, you know, your brand is so much more than what you look like. Um, you know, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Your brand is how you how you deliver. Uh, it's how you engage. It's how you communicate. Um, it's what you stand for. I think. I think a lot of what we do can often be reduced to how it looks, um, mm. how the website looks or how that like line of copy sounds. But, it, you know, your brand is really how you behave um, both internally and externally. Like we worked, with a, we worked with a client years ago and we, as part of our process, we like to come up with like a one word, uh, which sort of like your brand essence. And they're like, our word is inspiring. I'm like, cool, cool. Like let's, let's look at how we do that. And, uh, and then you get some of their products. They're not a client anymore, so I can say this. Um, and it was very uninspiring, their, their, their app. And then you go to their office and their employees are in, you know, working in this tiny, tiny office like sardines. And you're like, this is not inspiring, but this is what you want it to be. But you're not really willing to, to go through with it. Sort of that like how you do anything is how you do everything. Like if you say you want to do something with branding, you've got to deliver on that over and over again. It's not a, it's not about of just saying something um, mm. or paying lip surface to it. It's, it's actually how you deliver. Even how a receptionist might answer the phone, you yeah. know, it's every touch point, isn't it? Everything. I think that's really um, a great quote. Um, 
how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah, I love that. Um, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's also about the value system of the brand. I think it's mm. easy, you know, inspiring. You know, it's also one of those words that is quite, uh, I suppose, general. And so to find <laughs> yourself a word that is a little bit more unique is actually yeah. quite part of part of the work into working out yourself um and um and actually then creating yourself a system of values that you can live by and mark yourself against and mm. check yourself in with and um you know follow through to your internal experience or right down to your words on your business card yeah yeah completely i think it's um you know like having those values as, as guiding principles is really important and then understanding like, you know, understanding what makes your brand, you know, your brand, um, understanding who mm. you are and what you stand for, and then not compromising mm. on things when, it, when, you know, when there's opportunities to make things easier or streamline it. You know, years ago we worked with one of, um, one of my favorite case studies we've done is a, is a transport company called QMC Logistics. And one of the things in the research we found out that, you know, their customers really liked was this human element of being able to pick up the phone and speak to their, their rep, their person, you know, their, their account manager and the, the problem they had with their competitors was there's lots of, lots of account, you know, there was lots of account managers who were always changing. So you'd never have a consistent sort of person to speak to, whereas QMC were different. And then it came to doing things like, as they grew, you know, they were, they were making decisions like, should we get a 1-300 number or a 1-800 number? And I was like, well, no, because one of the things that people said they like was having, you know, someone's mobile and someone's landline and a landline at the top of the page for the business and it wasn't, you know, you, we didn't want to feel like you were going to call through and get a call center. So it was, um, it was sort of sticking true to those things and, and, and making decisions based on, on what they wanted. They said in the start they wanted to stand for of being, you know, being sort of this open, um, really accessible business. Mm. So it sounds like you've really mastered this um, approach for your clients and this process is really helping you also probably sell um, your skills to your clients. Um, but I'm interested to know, you know, what do you want to be better at as a person? What do you, uh, you consider yourself not that great at that maybe some of your other team take um, for you? Um, what, would you? what would you like to work on on yourself? I want to be, I want to be able to be more present. Um, and it's something I'm working on. Uh, I think I'm, I'm pretty terrible with my phone. Um, and, and just sort of like refreshing emails or refreshing Instagram and trying to put in processes to, to reduce screen time. Um, mm. yeah, I, I feel this need to be connected. Um, and when I say connected, I don't actually mean connected to people. I mean, connected to a screen. Um, uh, so yes. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a way to disconnect, um, and, and just be there. Um, uh, my wife is having a baby in December and, um, I really want to be, I, I really want to be there for the moments that matter and the moments that count and not be, you know, not have my head, um, in my phone or, or be thinking about work or, you know, or distracted. I want to, I want to be there and be present and, um, and yeah, just be intentional about the time that I spend with people. I think everyone wants um, <laughs> to have some insight into that problem. Dad. Yeah. Um, maybe your next blog should be on um, top tips of how to disconnect <laughs> from your phone. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, personally, my, I have my emails filtered, so the CC email, emails are in a different channel to the oh, inbox emails. Yeah. And I find that um, 
cuts in half my sort of uh, emails admin, if you like, yeah, um, that's which good. is a ha- handy tip. Um, but the rest of it, I haven't found any other solutions. Um, so maybe, uh, I think that's a great, great thing to be more present, isn't it? To just like, you're like, you know, to take a leaf out of your dad's book, not bring your work home with you. And I yeah. Think yeah. Conscious and to be conscious. I do things like I do headspace each morning. Um, mm. although I do, I do it like Monday to Friday, I'll do headspace. I did it today actually, but, um, today's Saturday. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but normally I'll do it like Monday to Friday. And then when I have more time, I won't do it. I'm like, that doesn't really make sense. Um, but I, I do find that doing, doing sort of some mindfulness, um, some guided meditation does help uh, when I'm at work mm. and I'll notice the difference if I don't do it. I'll notice that, that things sort of feel harder or, you know, there'll be potentially conflict or there might be, you know, if people are asking questions or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work um, with the team, you know, it, it just sort of feels like, things become a bit more overwhelming and I haven't taken that time to sort of sort of decompress at the start of the day. Um, mm. I, I, I realized the difference. So yeah, I've, I've found that's been really helpful. I think you and me are both big ambassadors of um, <laughs> a quick 10 minute meditation. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly helps you distance yourself from maybe something quite overwhelming or stressful. I don't know how it works, but it works. Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of, leads me into like how do you switch off from work what are your um personal things that you like to do um to sort of help you you know leave work behind so i i um i do crossfit uh which is just sort of high intensity strength and conditioning training um and i'll do that sort of six days a week um and i'll do it i'll do it on the way home from work so I'll, i'll i'll leave work about uh either five or five thirty, and then I'll do an hour session there and then go home. And I find that to be a really good, uh, way to switch off. It's sort of that third space. It's sort of you know, in between home, uh, work and home. And, and mm. the idea is that, you know, you sort of leave every, you leave everything from that day sort of before you step in to <laughs> step in home. Um, it doesn't always work like that. Like sometimes you'll, you get pulled back into work mode, uh, go back to your laptop or or something like that. But I, I find that um, to be really, really good for stress. I, I think exercise for me is is a really good way to a really good outlet. That's a lot of CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. I like it. I'm pretty competitive. So, I mean, so having, having a good, um, having a good sort of, uh, group of people to do it with at the gym there um, and just mm. some good mates there has, has been really, yeah. really good to sort of um, switch off that way. Gets you out of your head and into your body. I find. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's very hard to think about anything when you're, when your heart rate's up really high and, and you know, you're, you're in the middle of a workout or something like that. Like it's hard to think about what happened at work that day. So I, I really like that. And, uh, and other questions like, what are your favorite books? What are your, um, you know, when you get reading time, what, what are you, anything you can recommend? I, I've just been listening to Robert Galbraith, who's um, actually JK Rowling, and she writes a crime novel. Uh, it's called the Cormoran Strike series. And the, the latest book was out and I was reading, I was listening to that on Audible and it was like 30 hours 
And I was um, <laughs> I was sitting at home. I had TV on mute. I was um, and just listening to that. This is when this is when my wife is at work, so I'm not just like on the couch with her next to me <laughs> listening to headphones. <laughs> that would be a bit rude. Um, and he's disconnecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I really like I really like novels. Um, I, I like business books too. There's a few business books like Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. Um, Start with mm-hmm. Why uh, by Simon Sinek and Leaders Eat Last. Simon Sinek and then novels I really like you know the Harry Potter series um Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton and uh yeah there's Robert Galbraith and then like Andy Weir the Martian so just I I, yeah I really enjoy um having you know a fiction book to sort of listen to or read as a way to escape you know and not and not always be thinking about work development you know building the business and you always are you picking up physical books or is it Oh, occasionally. I'm, I'm, um, yeah, Audible for me is is a, a way that I can get through books quicker. Um, yes. Because I can listen in the car and 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 stuff like that. Um, so I, I do enjoy holding a book and and reading a book, but I'm just a bit slower when it comes to that. Especially if you're multitasking with a TV <laughs> on. <laughs> Um, and as a as a drinks designer, I'm always asking this question, which is, what do you order at the bar? <laughs> I'm pretty boring. I drink cider and vodka lemon soda. So, cider. Uh, yeah, so different ciders like um, I think it's a uh, Colonial's Birdies apple cider um, or the Hills uh, apple cider are probably my two favourite ciders. Oh, that's interesting. I've mm. not heard a cider answer for a while, Dan. <laughs> Channeling your ancestors, probably. Yeah. <laughs> what was the other one? Uh, birdies? Colonial? No. Oh, oh vodka lemon soda. Oh, but not vodka really lemon like, soda. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's not really a drink I'd order that much. I like espresso martinis. That's pretty basic. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. They're, they're pretty glamorous and, keep yeah. you, you know. <laughs> Keep you uh, awake for your, for yeah, your well that, sociability. But, but I, don't really, I don't really party that much anymore. So um, espresso martinis for me now would be like, oh, I don't want to stay up. So I'm not going to drink that. Like I don't, want to be, I don't want to be up till midnight. I want to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just give you that little, um, yeah, make you awake a bit too long, I think, yeah. some of those. Um, so interested to know, um, you know, who's someone remarkable that you know that the DSR podcast should speak to I've I've been meaning to talk to and this sounds like a bit of a suck up but my mother-in-law uh Su- Suzanne Mather has started a or started years ago um she's a, a co-founder of a business called Employment Office and they do recruitment marketing and recruitment advertising and she's built a brilliant business um and she's got a really really great story of how she built that and um and how they've grown it to you know to be in multiple cities and multiple countries. Um, and she's just, yeah, just an incredible business person. So I, I'm excited to ch- chat with Susie, Susie and uh, interview her about her story because it's, um, it's a really good one. So has she been quite influential to yeah. you? I'm interested to know as well, like who, who are the people that are influential um, to you? Yeah, Su- Susie's been really influential um, in, in just – I mean, they, they've got a they've got a great business with a lot of staff, and I think how she how she acts as a leader um, is is yeah really really inspiring. Um, there's 
Yeah, there's a few. There's a few others I probably mentioned. Um, I, I think I mentioned before Cos Lucidi or my boss at my previous agency, but a guy called Cos Lucidi who um, who gave me my start as an intern, sort of in 2010, and then I stayed on and became the first full time employee at Communicator One, and then stayed on there for five years. Um, and he was he was a awesome. He, well, he is an awesome guy, um, and he's a he was a great boss, and he's um you know, ex-creative director of some big firms in Brisbane and I think he worked in Leo Burnett in Sydney. Um, mm. But he um, he was just amazing at building really good relationships with clients. So, mm. you know, really becoming – and he, he was great. He was like a master connector and, and just would just become really close with clients. Um, but, you know, genuine connections. And, and just it taught me to, to actually take time – to, to go beyond just the transaction and, you know, go, go beyond just the sale and actually just be friends with someone or just take a genuine interest in someone's life. Because um, mm. we're just people. Like, you know, yes, yes. we're at work, but, but, you know, what can you find out about that person? What makes them tick? Um, and, and just be there to, to have a conversation. It doesn't always have to be about work. Uh, and he was, mm. br- he was brilliant like that. Um, yeah, and then I think, it, I think finding that common ground with someone, or just having a little bit more of a richer conversation, yeah, um, it actually it sort of it helps you get to know one another, and I think it takes a little bit of the steam out of the room sometimes when you yeah. when you when everything can become a, get a bit corporate. You want to just um, <laughs> you know relax together and be able to work. It was hilarious though, like because would um like go in and. He'd be like, how are you going, brother? And like, you know, uh, do like the bro hug on like these really, oh, really conservative, informal. yeah, these really conservative like CEOs, you know, we were working with these big <laughs> national retailers and he'd be like, how are you going, brother? And like high five, like almost high five um, the CEOs. It was hilarious. But he'd just be, he'd have a way of just being able to get people sort of just feel comfortable and, and just enjoy it. I mean, some people... some people responded better than others, but it was hilarious. And um, it was just cool. I think was, you would be... Oh, sorry, you go. No, no, you go. I just feel like if you're if you walk into the room like that, you are um, being yourself, and yeah. everyone sort of has to relax with you in a way. Yeah, yeah. No, it was cool. It was it was funny seeing seeing the responses on on people who, yeah. I mean that is just it's just a good character. Um, and then with other, a great name. Sorry, with a great name. He's yeah. got a great name as well. Hasn't yeah. He? Um, other people, I mean, like I said before, like dad's been, you know, very influential, uh, in terms of his work ethic, um, and, and just sort of, um, yeah, the ability to, to be very patient, um, and, and just hardworking and not, and not take that work home. And then there's another person who I actually spoke to on our podcast, uh, on my podcast, and that's Simon Harridance. And he was, um, sort of my first or foundation client when I started DSR branding five years ago. And we were mates through the gym and he's, he's just um, been really influential in terms of our businesses have grown together. So he's got an investment management firm and, and he's just, just been a real good role model for how to, how to run a small business, how to conduct yourself with clients, um, mm. how, to, how to build team culture. So he's been, um, he's been a really good influence, I think, and, and just been an amazing referral of business. He's, he's one of those people that if he, if he trusts you and backs you, He'll tell lots of people about it and he's got a great network of people who are now clients. 
interested to know um, what is your favorite quote or the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, the, the best piece of advice came out of a recent interview I did uh, with Tash Menon, and she was talking about focus uh, on what you can control. Mm-hmm. And I really like that idea of, you know, it's very easy to get caught up and worrying about other things that are out of your control. Um, you know, people, the decisions that other, other people might make or that basically like things that you can't influence the decision of or the outcome of and you, and you get caught up in that. But if you can just focus on the, the things that you can control, um, it just seems to be a lot more beneficial. Um, and then the, the favourite quote, we've got one written uh, that Ruben, our, our designer, um, put on, on a mirror in our, um, in our office and it's, who are you and why are you here? And it's a really cool <laughs> reminder. That. I love it. Like I'll, I'll see it in the bathroom and it's just like a, a shot in the arm of like, like, who are you? Like what? And yeah, who are you? And what are you doing here? Like, why are you at work today? Like, what are you actually going to do? Um, you know, what's your purpose? And, and, if, and whatever that purpose is, like, you know, do it intentionally. And I really like that. Yeah, I love that. It makes you just gives you that prick of your conscience. It's like, yeah. you know, don't, yeah. don't let life pass you by. Yeah. Make every moment, you know, worth it. And I know that sounds cheesy and stuff, but I think we're all – we could all sometimes have days where we're just on the treadmill. And I think that's a great little um, quote, especially to have on the fridge. Is, is that what you said on the no, fridge? No, it's on, it's, it's, it's on uh, oh. like a label underneath the mirror in our bathroom at work. Uh, okay. So, so, so you, you see, see it, it often. I see it a few times a day and because I drink coffee a lot. Um, I see, <laughs> but um, I'll see it and I'll be like, yeah, like go back and, you know, are you, are you working towards what you want to achieve? Like are you actually – are you being productive or are you just, are you just here? It's interesting you say that because a few quotes have just turned up on our fridge at the studio. And one of them just says, change, change keeps you young. And I, and I think it's also nice to have quotes in your studio that sort of just keep you awake with the moment and keep you um, enjoying, um, you know, what you're doing and asking yourself questions. And yeah, so I I really love that. Um, Mm. And focus on what you can control is, is great. And I think you've spoken to that in, in today with how you, you know, uh, how your podcast came about and also, you know, not wanting to lean on your designer's time, but wanting to actually um, do something that didn't involve your time and not their time, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next for DSR, Dan? <laughs> we're growing up. We're like, we're five years in. Um, I'm, I'm really excited with sort of what's, what's happening with our business in terms of, like I said before, we're really finding out, um, we're really defining our process um, and we're putting in, we're putting in, you know, the right protocols and systems to, to fall back on. And there's a quote that um, a guest said the other day, and it's out of a book called Atomic Habits, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, but it's you, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Um, and, and it's something that I'm trying to instill in our business is, is really good systems, and it doesn't sound sexy or fun or inspiring, but just getting a few, like the foundations right again and working out, you know, how, like what does a, what does a good week look like? Um, how, are we, how are we productive with our time, how we, you know, how we bill in for our work and that sort of thing. And actually getting some of those things right so that 
you know, the work that we're doing, we're very intentional about the, the type of projects that we're taking on, um, not taking on projects that fall outside our, our sort of sweet spot of, mm. you know, rebrands for B2B companies. Um, so really niching. And it's scary to niche because you think, oh, what about all the things that I'm missing out on? Um, but that's okay. Like other people can take that work. We, we just want to be really great at what we want to be great at. Um, and, and without being like you guys, like you guys, um, do brand identity or branding and design for alcohol brands. And I think that's just to me so inspiring because you know, you know, you know, the realms that you guys are best at and you can actually be, you could, you know, it's that Jim Collins, good to great, uh, the headshot principle of, you know, what can you be the best in the world at? And, and I want to find that for our business and we're sort of, we're touching on that, but I think we're, we're, we're going further into that and we're, and we're going to, you know, hopefully expand and, and build upon it. And I think it will make you more powerful um, and more of an expert in your field. And um, I think that's, I think all businesses should just focus on that and not, not worry about losing business because they're going to gain business. They should be more excited about what business is going to come as a result of that. Yeah. And as a business owner, I mean, it's so hard, like in your early days, every, every new job is a good job. And then as you grow up and you evolve and you realize that not all money is good money. Um, and, and it actually, you know, by taking on a project that's outside your sweet spot or your, you know, that that's a bit further away from what you guys are, you know, what you specialize in day in, day out, it actually takes you away from the, the, your goal or the destination. Um, mm. so yeah, being, being stricter with that and being stricter with our time, I think is, um, is something that I'm trying to do. Mm. I think you've mentioned some great books and some great quotes and really inspiring people that have, um, you know, really fed into who you are, Dan, but where, where can people learn more about you? <laughs> um, I, um, I mean, I share a lot on, on our website, I guess on our, like a monthly blog, uh, the podcast, um, and LinkedIn, I guess. And then personal, they can, people can follow me on my personal page, which is open. Um, and yeah, <laughs> Which we'll see more, more they can subscribe uh, to the podcast. More baby shots soon, which is a very exciting uh, <laughs> for you that you're going to become a dad. In, yeah. uh, did you say December? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so excited. Um, I think. Um, yeah. I'm, slash I'm, terrified. Slash terrified. Yeah. <laughs> I um I don't know. I don't know how how much the podcast will um. You know, if it will have the same consistency of like weekly or fortnightly episodes, but we can we can only hope. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm really fortunate with the the support network we have around us um, in you know in family and things like that. And yeah, hopefully we it can uh, like- hopefully we can juggle a few things. Yes. Well, as a business owner, I think you've already got um, a qualification in that. So um, really exciting times for you, Dan, and it's been wonderful to chat and, um, you know, turn the tables from <laughs> no, uh, the you. podcast host to the interviewee. Thank, thank you for taking the time and, uh, and yeah, and doing it because, you know, as, as we said in the conversation where I interviewed you, you, you said, oh, I'd like to interview you. And I, yeah. <laughs> jumped at the chance to do it so thank you for taking up taking the time and and having such great questions i've really enjoyed it oh it's been a pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much dan thanks zoe cheers thanks for tuning in and thanks again zoe 
As always, show notes about the books mentioned can be found on our website, dsrb.com.au slash podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at dan at dsrb.com.au or connect on LinkedIn or Instagram. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share it with a friend. Now we return to our usual programming next episode, so stay tuned for some truly remarkable people.